on to talk about whatever's topical, usually in my favorite fields, which is business increasingly, especially this week. We've had a hot business week of it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the session that we did with Rush yesterday about um, upsell and patient visit average and stuff. Fascinating chat. Look forward to hearing from him again. But also we had Michael Schumacher on on Monday talking about click funnels and his hatred of those as a, being, of a cheap form of marketing. Now, it's completely coincidental that the guests were booked in this order, but it's ended up being an, another a businessy uh, session that we've got planned for you today. So really looking forward to bringing you Andy Hosgood. For those of you that don't know him, although I'll give him a chance to introduce himself a little bit more thoroughly than I will now, he's a, a brilliant business coach, but comes from a clinical background, grew his own businesses, and then he's helping others, including us. And so as someone that those of you that are paying attention over the years will know that this is certainly an area of, uh, of, of, of sort of, MSK that I've been really irritated by over the years and uh, and certainly spoken out against some of the gimmick uh, gimmicky nature of it and so for me to find someone who I've got a lot of uh, shared values with and kinship but also then put his services and his style to the test in our businesses it's been fascinating to work with him absolute pleasure to get to know him and so I'm pleased that he's going to join us on chewing it over to talk about something that's been, been burning a hole in my list which is about the pros and cons of growth when it comes to clinics. So when you're trying to work out, right, things are going well here, should I get another site or not? I find people that are totally on the fence on this, right? They, they, they not on the fence, sorry. They're either side of this fence, too far away from the fence. They're either really reluctant to, even though they should, and they're burning out by doing too much in four walls, or there's those that are really cavalier and grow too quickly and spread themselves too thin and burn out that way. Now, I don't want either of those. We want a more balanced and measured analysis. And so I know a man who can help us through that, who's far smarter than I am on these issues. So hopefully, if the tech allows, I will shut up and slide in Andy Hosgood. Andy, can you hear me, mate? Oh, good, Jack here. Brilliant. Good. So I hope you heard a bit of my waffly intro. Um, so I told him a little bit about what we're going to be talking about. But tell yeah. the listeners who might not know you a little bit about you to start us off, if you would. Yeah, certainly. Thanks for having us on. Um, so sports rehab and physio background that was kind of like we all do um i guess for me where i slightly differ from most is we were that ambitious that we left university and decided we were going to go straight in to set our own business up right and i think the reality was for us jack is that we were pretty crap therapists and pretty crap business people so that <laughs> didn't last incredibly long um so yeah, I just went through the journey. And then for us, we we started when I was about 24 buying physio practices. So um, we actually bought bankrupt physio practices. Um, and we that was our kind of way of entry into the market. We just came in and we worked with a liquidator and bought. So we, we actually bought four in about 12 months. Wow. But just for clarity, we were on that side of the fence at the start. <laughs> um so um uh, and then we yeah so but that's what we did we grew really well um long story short we we set up a business through one another where it didn't rely upon myself and my business partner adam at the time and i was kind of i then was kind of semi transitioned into a consultancy role in the private sector so went to work for organizations that were trying to almost put products into the private sector physio msk sector education products and stuff um it's all right the lights just fallen over and then uh, so that was kind of how we did and then it made me kind of sit back and really reflect on lots of things that businesses didn't do well which led us to put a team together and almost create a consultancy company um 
which is now Elevate Your Clinic, which is where we know ourselves from and what we did our therapy live. And myself and Phil now, our goal is to really help therapy business owners find, well, one, understand what their goal is <laughs> and or the vision of what they want to set out and then help them overcome any challenges they want to do to reach that rather that be, you know, like you said, expanding your practice and going beyond your one site into multi-site. Or for some people, it's trying to get an exit strategy to get out because they want to retire now and what to do with it. So sure. it's a really it's a, quite a good breadth of work that we do. Brilliant. And how is your time distributed between the different hats that you wear? Um, so especially your, your, your practice, by the way, or your, your network of practices is Summit Physio. Yeah. Um, so how is your time distributed amongst your various preneurs? Oh, different preneurs. Oh, there's a, there's another. That's a conversation for another day because we actually have quite several businesses outside of what we do. No, I know, so, but that's uh, I want to I want to know across the yeah, whole suite okay, the of whole your thing. time, your working time. So elevate probably sits about 60, 65 percent of all I do. Summit's mm-hmm. a very small majority now. I almost am a consultant to my own business. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. So that's kind of how it works. I kind of kind of consult more in Summit rather than actually physically do. Um, what's been really nice is COVID. I've actually gone back and done some hands-on work. So I've had to. Um, I've brushed off the tools and realised actually I'm quite good still. But you um, got ID. You got like ID'd into your own clinic, didn't you? You were like seen to be some bloke that's ambling around, and some of the staff didn't know you. The staff knew were just none of the patients. The so patients, was, sorry, who's so that, that guy? Was, yeah, that's right. Sorry. So it was the story of right. I. So for those that yeah, so don't know the story, I actually went back in and one of the clients that had come in had been into a session and when they came out they said to our operations manager the new lad's all right isn't he <laughs> i wonder can i rebook back in with him and it was only when she said around and said you do understand that like this is his company and so yeah so that kind of shows you i think when for me it was a nice point when you know cool. that you've done well but they don't even know who you are so that was yeah for me yeah, that was no, a, definitely a win nice. for that I see what you mean. No, that's that's great. So yeah, that's that's a small but small part of your work. But then yeah, you've got other other hustles as well. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We have because obviously elevate, and then I also have an online. I worked a lot with uh, young and professional golfers. Right. So we've actually created an online movement correction um, program for golfers, which is quite good. Uh, again, fortunately with that, like yourself, I have a partner in crime that probably does a lot of that for me. So I actually, apart from doing a bit of consultancy, again, on the the product itself, I don't really get involved in that. So it's, again, for me, it's how we set things up, isn't it? I mean, actually, my time, my only time I spend majority of time is doing the actual one-to-one coaching with our clients, which obviously is where my passion is. Yeah, you're a, you're a very much an infrastructure and analysis man. You're wanting that thoroughness to come through, and it's something we touched on actually on yesterday's show. Is trying to create thorough services requires sort of thorough foundations. Uh, I yeah. want to ask the live audience that have tuned in. A lot of people listen to this after the fact on their commutes, etc. But for those that are tuning in live, I know what you like, and if we've got a guest on, you always loiter until the end and then burst your questions out when we've not got time <laughs> to say them. So one of the questions I want to ask you, if you're listening to this live, is that when it comes to you're in private practice or you have aspirations in that direction. Are you some? Do you agree with what I said, whereby people are too far away from the fence in that they're either really risk averse in, in trying to grow that, or are you someone that's made mistakes or potentially are in the midst of a mistake in which you're trying to grow too quickly and it's really difficult? You're drawing yourself too thin. 
or is, am I wrong in thinking that and you, you're actually all on the fence and, and being sensible with it but I definitely would love any questions or comments in that direction with regards to business growth if you are in MSK business but on that then Andy can we can we start off either um, just talking about your take on this matter to be honest like yeah. what, what's your what are your thoughts generally on on growth and also do you agree with my sort of more broad analysis there <sighs> I think, it, to be honest, I think the answer is yeah. I think, but I would say that is changing. I think the tide is definitely changing, um, right. which is really positive because I think, you know, I think it's changing because people are, you know, if you think, let's go back 12 years when I got my first business coach. If you're a therapy business, getting a business coach, you know, most people can, what are you on about? Hmm. It was just like not, it was, it was just not seen and done. Hmm. I mean, we sacked him pretty quick because he didn't know anything about the therapy business. But that—that's a whole chat again. But for for that, going yeah. back to your your conversations regarding um, good and bad in the therapy industry and how they know the therapy industry. So you know, I I, I definitely think that was. I think it is changing. I think people are now definitely looking at more ways to make better decisions. I still think confidence for business owners is there, and I think you know. Me and Phil did a podcast recently around imposter syndrome, and that definitely seems to still stick of people that don't mm. want to expand. You know, what you know? Well, I'm, I'm nice in my little thing. Where's where's my risk? Um, but we also work with practices, and I've got involved in practices that have they're at ten sites, and you know, don't really know the P and L as well. So uh, again, I still think that exists. I just think it's a lot less than what it probably was, if that makes sense. Mm. What do you think are the forces that really com contribute to those things? Like you mentioned imposter syndrome being one of them. I mean, I'll apply a, a phrase uh, of complacency to someone that's maybe not across their numbers despite being large. You probably wouldn't get away with that and still be in business if you weren't able to be. You're kind of being complacent because times are good, I imagine, when that happens. What other factors do you think are in play that sort of influence that behavior? I think there's got to be a want and a need as well, though, hasn't there? Do you mm. know what I mean? I think some people do. do I think the, the reality is some people don't want to take the risk. I think and risk is definitely, you know, we talked about this off air about what is risk. Yeah. And both of us quite enjoy risk, don't we? Mm. In some ways. And I think it's one of those things. And I think for a lot of people taking that next step, you've got to be comfortable with being flexible and uncertain as well. Mm. And, you know, when you grow, there's got to be comfortable with being unfamiliar with things that you're not great with um so for me there's a big part in there that for those people that don't want to expand um they kind of there is that kind of should i take the risk or not yeah and i think that that caution sometimes uh, i can i've got a lot of time for that and i also have people in team now that are that way out and it's great to have them on my shoulder sometimes when i'm just like well we can grow outwards and and obviously uh we're just saying before we went on air as well you know that was something i was making the mistake of unbeknownst to me that a pandemic was coming but generally speaking i was drawing myself thinner and thinner not necessarily across multi-site clinics but across my projects um and i learned that lesson a hard way in many ways with what the pandemic brought I think what, what I didn't realize I'd be asking, but I've just sort of something's clicked really in terms of disposition <clears throat> and personality is that you and I are both sort of, it's not just a professional risk, is it? I mean, you're, you're someone who's into athletic pursuits and MMA, et cetera. You know, you're someone that puts, <laughs> well, you're into physical risk. Yeah. 
myself, I, although I, I probably get punched or punch less than you, but but certainly adrenaline <laughs> sports and my background is in adventure sports and putting myself down right. various different slopes as fast as I can. There's a risk yeah. involved in that that seems like it's kind of to our temperament. Do you think that that plays out in business or is that just a coincidence? Uh, ooh, good question. That wasn't on the list of questions. But no, I think yeah, <laughs> um, I won't, but I think for me, for me personally, I can only talk about me personally on this on that question. Is I've always been comfortable with it, if that makes sense. Right. So I think it again. It, I think it is individual personalities. Um. But yeah, I'll have to let me explore that one on another day. One, but for, that's another, really one for another day. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't think I was going to ask it. I haven't just snuck that in there. But it's just like what you were describing. It felt like there's a correlation there to personal, isn't there? Um. So I'd be fascinated. We'll talk about that another time. Let's get stuck into the the um, well. Actually, they've had a good question that I think will tee us will tee you up yeah. on the next bit, really. So let's go there. So David, thanks for that. Is it risk or is it overhead? So is there a distinction between those? I think the reason what's really interesting is when we do any. So for those that don't know, Jack knows is I'm a bit of a data geek. <laughs> so I, I love I make I am very comfortable making decisions based on data. Um, and one of the things for me is I think when you look at when you, if you're comfortable with understanding your data, your profit and loss, your overheads, all of, you know, your figures, your numbers, like your patient average that you were talking about yesterday, all these kind of things, all these statistics, then you you make what we call a calculated risk, don't you? Because mm. you understand, you know, what your cost of acquisition is. You understand what your journey length is. You can work at almost forecast forward profit and loss. Now it's really interesting that people that might say. They are worried, you know, we can sit down and do some data analysis with them and show them, well, look, it, if you do, if you apply this in the way you're doing it, you're going to be making money within six months. So you only actually, your investment to set up a new clinic is only going to cost you X amount of money. Do you feel comfortable with that? Well, I feel comfortable with that because in six months you'll be starting to pay this all back. All right, well, where's the issue? So I think. Sure. You know, so that's a good question in the sense of the fear of going into an unknown can be reduced by actually using a lot of the time the statistics you've already got in your CRMs, if you use a CRM well, of course, and that you can then be using that to help you averse risk or reduce it. So on, although it's not a perfect binary, if we think about what you've just described there, which is a, we'll try and use the clinical terminology and suggest that's the objective analysis, isn't it? Um, yes. That's something that you're bringing data to bear and bringing some facts of the matter that then might help to inform it. But as we know, we're complex and uh, complicated creatures, and there's a subjective feature to that as well. It needs to go through a human interface to try and work out whether that plays or not against our instincts. How do you think, if we were to try and imagine that was a binary, do you think it should be so 70% data analysis and 30% gut thrust instinct and, and feels? Or where, where's it sort of fall for you? Again, very good question. I think I'm, I'm good at questions. I'm not good at answers. No, no, no. <laughs> well, that's why you bring guests on, isn't it? But I think <laughs> one of the, but I, but I think, and it's a, I, I would argue that's an individual's thing, right? If that makes sense. So, and, and I'll tell you my reason why it's not because, and it's an, it's a nice way to analogy because when we talk about um, our subjective objective kind of as a therapist, you then also do what I would call an education phase and a pan phase. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you'd actually look at your own. What is it about you? So what? What? One of the things I would do. Anyone who's tinkering and not sure either side 
was first analyze yourself. So what is the reasons why? You know, one of the things that we find out is um, what can help in a subjective thing is starting to seek to understand what is the vision behind someone set a business up. You know, really getting delving into what's the, what's the purpose behind what they do. And sometimes that's enough to get them excited enough to change, if that makes sense. Where others, you then have to produce the actual data for them to see so they can see the maths and it actually makes mm. so that that then helps. You know, if you can see the data, it changes how you feel about things. So it actually changes almost the subjective understanding of it, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. And I think it's like when, when you're saying that, I can just recognise different people and you know I, I've, I've throughout my career especially in this sort of a more public facing and commentary style you get people that I've always had clinical mentoring style clients that then sometimes like I'm always every third session saying keep me out of the business stuff especially before I was in business really I was kind of it was important for me to try and keep that clean but some people would have this bring the numbers and then you'd need to reassure them as to they're like the numbers make sense for me to grow but i don't fancy it and you're kind of like well what do you want <laughs> you know you you then have this like purpose related conversation and then other times it's like my gut tells me i should and they've not brought any data to bear and so i suppose that's that answers the question doesn't it it's, it's individual needs analysis and also <laughs> personality comes into it as well and, and i would argue that sits for those that are i've got a team you know, you know, you can't use the same KPI with each individual team member. Right. Because yeah. some people will be, you know, you, you looked at, let's go in the conversation yesterday, which I thought was really interesting about 12 in a journey length. Right, yeah. You know, but if you put that monetary value on that to some physio and say, right, you know, that's worth five grand, some will go, oof, I don't feel comfortable with that. But if you turn around and say, it's all about return to sport, and actually, what does that look like? They'd be comfortable with that. So again, I think with everybody, it's just finding where they feel the most comfortable, if that makes sense, on a, on a totally individual level. Yeah, no, that's a good, it's a good point. And I think it, what what Rush did well yesterday as well is is that explaining the fact that it's just it's not it's not up to you, and it's overreach for you to think too much on someone else's wallet. It's not fair, and especially when you turn that turn that on a clinician sometimes and say, well. How much, how much of a price do you put on your ability to play football at the moment for another few years? Like, oh, thousands. You know, it's just like if, if, if that were taken away from me, that is a high cash value on my existence. It's like, well, how dare you take that off someone else? Like, what, why are you trying to do that, that calculation? It seems, it seems bizarre. And I think that that speaks to, again, as, as, as business owners in the therapy game, it's sometimes hard to be that discompassionate and, and to separate yourself from things because we're empathic people yeah trying to do that clinically and there is a different hat that you need to wear whatever analogy we want to apply to your business sometimes to stop you being too clouded by those judgments well it's funny because in my early 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 days of saying the consultancy i always talked about that you have to swap hats and one right. of the habits i got into especially when i was in my transition from being still clinical still managing and trying to be an entrepreneur right. was you have to be able to almost like you say dissociate between the, the three different roles because you almost need to be three different people in my opinion you've got to have the clients when you're in that role you have to be client focused and it's all about them then when you become a leader and a manager it's all about your team but then actually when you're an entrepreneur it ha it's all about the business so there for me there's more data analysis around that right I actually, I actually got changed into different outfits. This is how sad I am and analytical. 
I would wear different things for different roles that I was in. So if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So actually to get myself in a mindset where I could be very, very focused on each individual thing. Yeah. So it, again, it's just helping people make that transition. Yeah, and I think that that's I've um, I've I'm still not sure if this metaphor always works as well, but I, I always tried to say that because certain roles sometimes become so part of your character, and especially if you're allowing yourself to blur some personal and professional stuff because it becomes a pride of passion, especially when it comes to business, that becomes you know professional is personal often, uh, especially when it comes to that. I always say that instead of it being like wearing different hats, as was something I, I overuse that analogy, it becomes instead that your hat becomes something that is fairly consistent because it becomes more part of you and you might be changing the lapel on it or the, 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 the feather in it because yeah, there's some changes and there's some differences, but generally speaking, it's kind of, it becomes central to you. And I think that almost I've found that becomes healthier. So then instead of me thinking, right, what's this meeting? I'm meant to behave on this. Like, yeah, you can be a bit of a chameleon, but on an individual personal level who you're communicating with rather than like what, you know, it becomes false. It becomes acting. And also it, it doesn't feel, as, as uh, thoughtful as we're trying to be, as especially with, when you've still got a clinical role, there is such a disconnect there between being that appropriately attentive and compassionate person. If you then needed to be really hard-nosed next minute, then you won't like yourself for that because you're being false at least one of the times. Well, we always have to, we always have, have to have, sometimes you need to have some uncomfortable conversations, don't you, as a leader? <laughs> You know, you got to keep every. You know, that's part. Of, well, you have to have uncomfortable conversations all the time. I think when you have a business, don't you? Do you think so confident? Because that's that's where. Do you think that in this instance, on this topic, self scrutiny and almost confronting yourself like you would someone else is is kind of where you need to go. Unless you're going to get someone who's going to appropriately confront you and consult, you know, be the person that you're you're paying to do that. Because I think that's something that people feel a bit uncomfortable with because they don't want to drag themselves down or they're not used to sort of scrutinizing themselves to that level i think people beat themselves too much so mm. i think some, some people need to be kinder to themselves mm. you know we and and in the way themselves <laughs> um some but they do don't they some do need to sometimes have a little look in the mirror and be honest and make some honest honest with themselves um but others i think need to be kind i think and like I say before, I think everyone, the hard thing about being in, especially in, in the therapy world is for a lot of people that when they become business owners, there is, it's something that isn't always inherently natural. It's a transition. You know, I'm not going to start using the E-Myth Gerber model of saying we're all technicians that all become, but, you know, so I think there's a lot of skills that people feel they don't have. And one of the, you know, to become better at stuff. And one yeah. of the things I'll still relate it to is, you know, oh, I'm, I don't think I'm a very good leader, so I don't want to take any more on or I don't manage yet. But then you think, well, actually, how many how many customers or how many clients, how many patients have you coached? Yeah. You're good at coaching. You're good at developing. You're good at helping people on the journey. If you apply the same principles just in a different way, then actually what you find is those people are really, really good leaders. Mm. And obviously in clinic, it's often the people that are saying that it's sort of they're leading a class of ten people every third hour. It's like sometimes they're, they're they're brilliant leaders. They've just not applied that to some of the man management type stuff that that sometimes they're reverse to. So it's a good point. Yeah, but it's like you know, as therapist, our job is to kind of set a journey and an education plan on you know, let's say you're doing an ACL uh, rehab journey. 
you've got to you've got to get someone to buy in over nine to 12 months of going it's going to be really quite boring this at the start and it's going to be quite painful but it's going to get really cool at the end yeah and you write that plan out but then they turn around and go oh, i don't know how to write, write a business plan well you're good at doing step-by-step -step increments rehabilitation plans if you applied your business to the same way and think of right well what would this stage look like what should we be able to do by this what should we be able to do by this what by this so in 12 months what does you know, if a return to sport measure is they've got to be able to do an Illinois agility test or a single hot balance test. What does 12 months, what should my business look like if we've achieved the goal of this? And mm. when you refer it back, they go, oh, yeah, actually, I can make that analogy. I think that the uh, the, the carryover of language is something I point out to people and say, there's a reason that they still use the word diagnostic in business. There's a reason that they still use the word prognostic in business it's because fundamentally yeah. these things carry over. So you know, use your skill set to apply it to a new frontier. I just want to ask one thing because I know I've noticed the clock and we've just got last five minutes. And so I just wondered, what do you think are the the key uh, mistakes to avoid when it comes to thinking about growth then? Like when people are, I mean, you've kind of hit the first one is you, you're not really brought your numbers to bear on it and you just got thrust in. But any others that either either you know of that have been made or you've made that you want people to avoid? I think when you're growing, I think the thing for me is knowing your number is good, but understanding them in a way that can be applicable into forecasting so that you can yeah. you can understand you, you can if you were to set something up, you can make some very quick decisions so you can understand your cost of acquisition and all those. So for me, understanding your data well enough is really important. I think number two is being comfortable recruiting and recruiting the right people and not rushing recruitment. That for me is one that, you know, what we see is people want to expand and go, oh no, um, we, oh, we need a team. And they, they ask their own team and go, oh, I've got a friend that can give you three hours and I've got a friend that can give you three hours. So then all of a sudden you've got these three hours everywhere, but you can never get them into training because they're all working full time in the NHS. And so they all do things your way. And then you go in in six months and go, why isn't stuff being done the way we did it the first time round? Got you. So again, I think I think there's there's definitely a recruitment, finding the right people to coming in, um, and I guess the big thing for me is being comfortable with the fact that your systems might not have been stress tested as well as they could be, because that's one that caught us out. We thought we had pretty robust systems until we had. You know 30 physio over six over six sites and then we realized that then we realized that actually they weren't and a lot of them required an awful lot of our attention you know and it was the point for us when my business partner had a six-month-old baby in a carry cot and was coming in on a sunday to make sure all the emails and all the phone calls were done so that there was no problems on a Monday that we went right. Things seriously have to change in our organisation if the two of us are going to have a life. Mm. So that would be for me is to make sure that you have got um, some decent standard operating procedures so that actually whatever you're replicating in one could be very replicated in another. Making sure you're recruiting well and training your staff so that the service is the same as one is in the other and making sure that you do spend some time writing a good business plan and then forecasting forward. Mm. No, that's really interesting. And that creating the robust blueprints and stuff is something that, you know, there's no end of um, surprise for me as to just how thorough the more there's no such thing as too thorough with that sort of stuff. And it's been fascinating as well, working with you for, for on systems that I knew were, 
were uh, certainly had, had gaps in. Uh, they went through the Hosgood filter and have really helped to expose <laughs> us um, to to where we need to improve. And, and I think that that's something that you know I, I definitely encourage encourage people to to have a chat with Andy and and, and to to just make sure that you don't always put that pressure on yourself to do all of this and to sometimes get an extra pair of eyes and just have a chat uh, about the fact that these things aren't always um, they're not always simple to see when you're in the grind and you're in the amongst it and stuff. And that's what having, having coaches and mentors and stuff and just extra, extra pairs of eyes on, on some of your, or even a pair of ears just to hear out where your thoughts are. That can be massively beneficial and certainly something we've benefited from with Andy and others. Um, so I definitely would encourage you to get in touch either via, via us, but also just point out uh, a few of the bits that you've, where people can find more about you, etc. Yeah, certainly. So you can email me direct at andy at elevateyourclinic.com or again, elevateyourclinic.com is our website. Um, or we're on all the Insta, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Andy Osgood on LinkedIn or Elevate Your Clinic. You can find us. And like you say, Jack, very happy to have a chat with anybody that is either one way or the other and just wants us to kind of sense check their plan yeah. as well i'm very happy to do that yeah that can be can be massively valuable and so yeah thanks so much for your time as ever hopefully uh, we, we can we can chat again soon both on and off air no doubt um, but yeah for those that for those that have uh, tuned in during then do catch up on this the episodes of course get burnt onto wherever it is you're listening to this but also they're across seven different platforms so if you prefer to listen to it somewhere else it's probably there as well we're also on spotify and apple podcasts as well as wherever your good podcast players are we upload that an hour after the show so if you can't always tune in live sometimes people have been emailing over frustrated fact but also Appreciate all of you for participating, all the other guests recently. It's been brilliant to get stuck into Become Business Week almost. Tomorrow's a slightly different show. I've got Ollie Thompson on the show. He's published a, a an article, an editorial about vaccine hesitancy, especially amongst osteopaths and some of the relevance around that, but it definitely applies across the MSK professions, really. So a really interesting chat about that and the ethics of, of, of mandatory vaccines, etc., um, as well as some of the interprofessional uh, conversations that have gone on around vaccine hesitancy. So please do join me tomorrow for that. Uh, and it's been a been an exciting week. Thanks a lot, Andy, and we'll speak soon, mate. Take care. Thanks, Jack. Take care.